Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of truth he's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior i wonder if you know him today thematic um, music there i thought it sounded I thought it sounded fun to start our series um, because we're talking about, this is a cool video if you, you can YouTube it, it's That's My King by S.M. Lockridge. He's an old dead preacher, um, but he's really awesome. Um, most of the coolest preachers are dead. Um, don't get any ideas, don't shoot me. Um, but uh, anyway, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to show you different clips of that video over the course of this series because we're talking about Jesus being king. Because it's a concept, it's, first off, it's in the Bible, um, but secondly, it's something we don't hear about very much, um, is because we kind of have what I call a me-centered understanding of Jesus, because I don't know if you were taught like I was taught. See, I'm in the generation that's called the millennials. I don't know if you've heard of us, um, but um, we were raised and told that we were very special, that each of us were very special. No matter what we did, we got trophies. Um, whether we were really good or whether we were really bad at anything. Um, so we <laughs> I have a lot of participation trophies in my mom's uh, basement, um, you know, for, 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 for things. And um, well, we were all told that we were very special and that we were going to change the world and that you know, we needed to go to college and that we were the best of the best. And then eventually we found out that there were other people who were better at things than we were and we weren't the greatest basketball player ever. We weren't the, uh, the strongest people ever. And, and you know, but, and maybe you were kind of, you've been kind of kind of told something similar to that, like that there's a little champion. It's kind of like the Instagram gospel or the Twitter gospel, that there's this little champion in you, and all you need to do is awake the little champion that lives in you, and, uh, and, and, and you'll have a really good life. And that's kind of what society says, right? It's like, you be you, girlfriend, you know, that kind of like societal influence. And then you couple that with Christianity in the United States is very me-centered too. Like you can turn on Caleb and you can listen to some songs and you're like, is she singing about her boyfriend or is she singing about Jesus or is Jesus her boyfriend or how does that work out? Because, you know, yeah, yeah, the, these songs could mean anything, right? And because it's all about me and me and me and me. You couple those th- two things together, being taught by society that each of us are the center of the universe and 
Christianity in our country that kind of tells that Jesus at best is like a really good friend creates this like me-centered Christianity, which really isn't Christianity. It leads us to have some wrong views of Jesus. And I kind of categorized them. Um, and I have a couple different views of Jesus. Um, and the first is the EMT Jesus. You know what I mean by EMT? Like, you know, um, it's, you know, you know, if we had a net, something happen here, you know, I'd call 911, EMTs would show up and they would take care of you, right? And when we have a crisis in our life, you know, we're like 1-800-JESUS, 911-JESUS, and, and, and Jesus comes and like, yeah, yeah, he, he scrapes us off the floor, puts us on a, the stretcher, does a clear thing and, and, and fixes our problem, you know, fixes our crisis and we're good to go and we don't need EMT Jesus anymore once we're done, once, you know, once he's done, once he drops us off at the hospital, he's done. Um, there's the Santa Claus Jesus. Um, you know, he's making a list. He's checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. Y'all excited for Christmas? Um, you know, <laughs> Hobby Lobby's had Christmas out for the past, like, nine months. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's the idea that if I'm nice to Jesus, he'll give me good things and he'll give me good stuff. So we, we try to appear um, to love Jesus. We try to do the right things, follow the right rules so that we can get stuff from Jesus. We see Jesus as the cool grandpa. Anybody here have a cool grandpa? Um, we see Jesus as the cool grandpa. And, you know, I, I learned how terrible grandparents are um, when my parents became grandparents and when April's parents became grandparents because, like, they're like, yeah, you want a candy bar at, at, at 9 o'clock p.m.? Yeah, sure. Why the heck not? You know, take the candy bar, you know? Like, yeah, you want to go swimming at midnight? Yeah, why not? Go swimming at midnight. All the things I wasn't allowed to do or that I couldn't do, Addison gets to do. It's bull. It's ridiculous. But it, it is what it is. You know, one day, you know, you all are going to get pregnant. Well, the girls are going to get pregnant. But, you know, one day, you all are going to have kids. <laughs> That escalated quickly. Um, one day, you know, you're going to be parents. That's what I was trying to say. And you're going to get so ticked off at your parents because they're going to let your kids do stuff that you were never allowed to do. So Jesus, we see Jesus as the cool grandpa. He gives us what we want, but he makes no demands of our life. And then we see Jesus as the butler. You know, we see, Je we see ourselves as Batman and we see Jesus as Alfred, you know, and, and we go out and we do all the really cool things because it's, you know, we're the center of the universe. And, you know, when we're done doing all the cool things and we need stuff, you know, you know we need the Batmobile wax or, you know, we need a meal, you know, we're like, hey, Jesus, can I have this or can you do this for me? And Jesus shows up as the butler. He, he, he does what you need him to do and then he fades out into the distance when you don't need him. These are all some kind of ideas. Maybe we wouldn't say we view Jesus this way, but our life would maybe indicate that that's the way that we understand Jesus to be. It all kind of, to sum it up, and it's kind of like yeah, the title of our lesson is it's that we all think we have a little Jesus in our pocket. And I, I Amazoned Amazoning is the new Google when you need to get things. I just Amazoned Pocket Jesus, and this is what it gave me. Thank you, Amazon Prime. It's like a little, like, dancing Jesus. Um, but we, we, here, here's what we do, and you may say you don't do this, but a lot of it, you know, sometimes I, f I find myself doing this. It's little Jesus in our pocket. We've learned that Jesus was just this nice guy. He was meek. He was mild. He was soft. He was tender. So he, he's good to keep with us, and when we need him, we'll get him out. You know, on Sunday or when we have a big test coming, we need we'll get him out and we'll have little Jesus with us. But then when it's homecoming time, you know, we'll conveniently hide him and put him in our pockets, you know, when we wanted to go do whatever, you know. You know, I know what happens. I've heard what happens at homecoming. I know there's a certain circle that you don't want to get in the middle of because that's where they put the hoe in homecoming, right? Um, so uh, anyway, <laughs> maybe... <laughs> Sorry, I've been on vacation. I haven't, had my, I haven't been in church for a little while. Um, but uh, we, we've got this idea that we have this little Jesus in our pocket. And this translates into when you start getting older and you get to make decisions for yourself, go to college, you think, well, I've got Jesus. He doesn't make any demands of my life, and I may need him later. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go set Jesus over here so I can get the full college experience. 
And then when I've, you know, done things or, you know, I, my life is a mess or, you know, when, when I'm grown up and I have my own kids, I'll come back and I'll get little Jesus in my pocket and I'll bring him back and include him in my life. Um, but it's all this idea that, we, that Jesus exists for us, that we have this list of wants and needs and it's Jesus' obligation or Jesus exists to fulfill our wants and needs, but it's actually the inverse. It's actually different when we learn in the Bible that Jesus doesn't exist for me, I exist for Jesus. You know, I've, I've said it before, um, yeah, a lot of you are told, like, you just need to find out who you are and be you. Um, and that can be good advice sometimes, um, but the best advice I can give you is not to find out who you are. Um, the best thing, the most important question you'll ever ask in your life is, who is God and who is Jesus? And tonight, when we learn about how Jesus exists, it does not exist for us, that we exist for Jesus. We're going to learn who Jesus is. And this is going to be tough. I've got three different verses that we're going to turn to tonight. So, you know, limber the, the old fingers up. Um, we're going to learn three truths about Jesus and who he is to where we learn that he's much more than a disco dancing Jesus in, 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 your, in your pocket. Um, Jesus is so much more than that. And go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24 uh, for the first verse. So the question is not, who am I? You know, we, we try to find who we are by doing a lot of different things, right? As we turn, we'll talk about that. It's, you know, you know, you know, some of you, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a sports guy, you know, I'm, I'm a jock, you know, uh, you know, you know. Some people try to define, I'm the fashionista, you know, I'm the person who like, you know, you know, all these like really trendy dressing or, you know, I'm a, you know, apparently, you know, oh, wow, Jesus is dancing again. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm a weightlifting guy, I'm a visco girl, which, you know, it's just such a fun, it's intriguing to me. Anyway, um, you know, but, but you, you, you try to identify who you are and what you are. But the question is, who is Jesus? What we learn is how big Jesus is and how great and how worthy he is for us to serve. The first thing we learn about Jesus, it's, gonna, it's our words tonight. The first R word is that Jesus is risen. And we learn about that in Luke chapter 24 and kind of set the stage. Uh, Jesus, this is kind of the end of, the end of Luke. It's the last chapter of Luke. And Jesus has died. You know, they put nails in his hands. They put a spear in his side. He was dead. They put him in a grave. He laid dead in a grave for three days. Three, on the third day, he rose from the, the grave. An angel moved the stone away, and he appeared. In, in Corinthians, we learn that Jesus appeared to over 400 people who knew him before he died, and they verify. They're like, yeah, that's Jesus. He's resurrected. And they had a hard time with that, too. I mean, you know, somebody who was dead appears to you. You know, you're, you're like, okay, I need to go see a shrink. And Jesus is like, no, touch me. You know, not touching you, not touching you. He's like, touch me. And, and they believed that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. And I, Let's read these verses, and then we'll kind of make the observation here. But Jesus is talking to his disciples. He appears to them. They freak out. They see Jesus, and they're like, okay, we believe you. And Jesus is commissioning them. Luke 24 is kind of like the, the, the parallel passage to Matthew 28, where Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission. Luke 24, this is Jesus sending his disciples out. Verse 44, it says, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So yeah, imagine the scene, you know, 
Jesus has just appeared to you. The last time you saw him, he was dead. And now here is Jesus alive, walking and talking. And then after he does that, he puts his hands up like he's some Pentecostal guy. No, joke. And he levitates. The, the Bible says it very nicely, ascended. You know, that makes it sound sweet. But he, yeah, if we saw it, we'd be like, he's levitating. You know, that's, that's, you know, he, he, he le- he's like this, and he just works his way up into the clouds to where they can't see him anymore. He ascends to heaven. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, I need a Prozac, and I need it now. I need drugs, <laughs> right? Because you just saw somebody who's dead, who's talking to you. And then that person levitated up to heaven. Like, I want to be medicated. Like, <laughs> give me good drugs, right? But that, that was what the disciples witnessed. They witnessed the risen Jesus. And the next slide that, Matt, that Matt's going to bring up, it has a group of people from the, um, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, and they are investigating a plane crash. And a plane crash happens... I've never been a part of one, but I've been told it happens pretty quick. Um, but the investigation after the plane crash takes sometimes years when they investigate why did this happen and how did this happen and what were the, all the details. It takes a moment for you to put your faith in Jesus. It takes a moment to be saved. It takes a lifetime as you investigate all of the things that happened in your life and the things that you became the things that Jesus did when you were saved. So Jesus is risen. He did things in your life when you put your faith in him that nobody else could do in your life. And we see some of these here when we have this encounter with the risen and then levitating Jesus. And the first is this. We learn that Jesus, he's he's risen. And because he's risen, we know that he earned our salvation. Jesus had claimed to have the power to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And a lot of people got really upset when Jesus said he had the power to forgive sins. But it's like Jesus signed a check with his death saying, I can forgive sins. I've taken your sins on the cross. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the check cleared the bank, meaning he verified that he has the power to forgive sins. And in verse 47, he tells his disciples, the new, the new news, the good news, the gospel is that you can repent for the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus died and rose again, the first thing that happened to you in your life was your, your salvation was earned not by you, but by Jesus. So when you put your faith in Christ, you were saved. You were saved from a forever place of eternal suffering called hell, and you were saved to a place called heaven. Pretty awesome, right? Only God can do that. Um, You were also saved from death. Verses 36 through 39 have this encounter where Jesus appears in front of the disciples, and they're like, you look like Jesus, but you're not Jesus because I saw Jesus die. Like, you're you're not Jesus. You're a fake. You're a poser. And he's finally like, Thomas, touch me, you know? And, you know, and Thomas is forever known as the guy who had to touch Jesus to believe him, but then he believed him, right? I, I, the disciples were understandably skeptical because nobody beats death. That's what we know. That's what we've learned from our experiences in, in science, right? Nobody beats death except for Jesus. And because Jesus beat death, when you put your faith in Christ, one of the things that happened is that your soul was given eternal life. Now, one day, yeah, you may die, you know, one, one day you may pass away, but your soul will live on forever with Christ in heaven. One day you'll be given a new body that will live forever. So death has been beaten. Death has been destroyed. Jesus gave you a mission that nobody else can give you, an eternal mission that you, 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 you will outlast all of the extracurricular activities you're involved in. It'll outlast all the relationships that you're in. There's this one forever mission that he says, and in verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. And then he gave us power. Look to the person next to you and say, I've got the power. Who's the one? Yeah, who sings that? I've got the power. 
can't remember who that is. Not the Spice Girls, is it? That's earlier than that, right? Okay. Anyway, you got the power. Look at, he, look at the promise. He says, I am sent, verse 49, I'm sending you the promise of my father. Stay into the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He's promising the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says anyone who believes in Jesus is given the Holy Spirit. I can't give myself the Holy Spirit. It was given to me by Jesus. So all of these incredible things happened in our lives when that were earned by Jesus when he rose from the dead and then he was carried into heaven, which brings us to the next thing. Jesus is royal. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is not only risen, he beat death, he earned things we couldn't earn. He's royal. Go to the next slide, Matt, and then we'll go back to this one. But I've got a picture of a guy that I don't like, and I don't know if you like him or not. Um, But it's this guy. Um, It's LeBron James. Um, Some people call him King James because he's considered, quote-unquote, the king of basketball because he's so good at basketball. He didn't just one day pick up a basketball and say, oh, King James. He earned it because he scored a lot of points. He won a lot of championships. I don't like him. I think Michael Jordan was 10 times better than him. But um, can I get an amen? No. Um, but, but I'll give him this. He earned his title, King James. He scored a lot of points. Jesus is given a title here, and he's given a position here in Hebrews 1. And it's not just like that God decided, hmm, I think I want to make Jesus royalty. Jesus earned it on the cross by coming back from the dead. Hebrews, Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, we learn about what... You ever think about this? We don't talk about this, about this very much. Jesus did the whole creepy. It wasn't, it wasn't creepy, it was Jesus. But I mean, he, he levitated up to heaven. What happened after that? Like, what happened to Jesus after that? The angel's like, oh, hey, Jesus is back. You know, like, like, like what was the scene there? Well, Hebrews tells us what the scene was. It starts with uh, Jesus coming to earth, and then it ha- tells us what happened when Jesus Ascended is the nicer way to say it, back to heaven. It says, verse 1 of Hebrews 1, long ago and many times and at many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So that's Jesus when he came to earth. He spoke to us through Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Wow, so Jesus was present when God created the world. He created me. Jesus isn't just this little person in my pocket. He created the hips that hold the pocket. That sounds weird, but it's true. Uh, Then it says, he is the radiance of God's glory. Wow, that's incredible. And the exact imprint of his nature. You wonder what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You wonder how God would act if he walked this earth? Look at Jesus. And then it says, he upholds the universe by his power. Wow, I don't think this little Jesus is so little, and I don't think he can fit in my pocket. Then in verse 4, or excuse me, the end of verse 3, it says, After making purification for our sins, after he died and rose again, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what happened to Jesus after he went back to heaven? He was given this seat of authority next to God the Father. He sits on the throne of heaven and he rules and he reigns from on high. Wow. Everybody say wow. Say it backwards. Um, So we see what happened with Jesus and then... If we had more time, we could read this kind of back and forth that he does. Uh, God asks rhetorical questions. You know, God has, God is a, I think God has sarcasm. Like we're creating the image of God. We're sarcastic people. I think God's sarcastic people. So I can, yeah, yeah, that that makes me happy to know. And he kind of asks almost some sarcastic questions to people like us who think we're the center of the universe. And 
I'm gonna, I kind of wrote, I paraphrased these questions, and I'll tell you what verses they're in so you can kind of follow along. But tell me if you can answer yourself to any of these questions. Verse 6, who's worshipped by angels? The angels don't worship me. They don't worship you. Only Jesus, right? Who commands angels? Who tells angels what to do and when to do it and where to do it? Jesus. He's called in, in the Old Testament the Lord of the hosts, the God of the angel armies. So only Jesus can be that. In verse 8, it asks, whose reign is forever? Hey, I don't know if they're going to impeach Trump or not, but one of these days his reign is going to end. Um, it may end next week. It may end in six years. I don't know. But one day, and then somebody else is going to take over. There's never been a king that's reigned forever. Who can reign forever? Only Jesus. Who's the only, verse 9, only human to ever walk the earth that was perfectly holy? Jesus. Who was anointed by God as king? Verse 9. Jesus. Who created the world? <laughs> not me. Not you. Jesus. Who lives forever? Verse 11. Jesus. Who never changes? Verse 12. I, I, I change multiple times a day. Like, I don't have multiple personalities. I just, you know, changed into different people every hour of the day. But who, who, who lives forever? Who never changes? Verse 12. Jesus. This is cool. We're going to talk about this, but in verse 13, who makes his enemies his footstool? Jesus. It, got, it has this picture. It's this, oh, I wish we'd get into it. It's this Jewish image of, um, uh, of somebody stepping on their enemy's throats victoriously. That's Jesus. Uh, here's the point. I can't answer yes to any of those questions myself. You can't answer yes to any of those questions yourself because there's only one king and it's Jesus. So he's royal. He's risen. He's royal. And then the last one is Jesus is returning. And you've got to turn backwards in your Bible to Psalm chapter 110. You know, we, we, we've talked a lot about Psalms, I, I feel like, lately. You know, the Psalm, there are um, the happy-go-lucky Psalms. There's the praise the Lord Psalms. There's the like, kind of like, I'm going to trust God Psalms, like Psalm 23, like, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Then there's, um, we talked um, the, about the imprecatory Psalms. Remember in the, in the, in the, uh, in, in the spring where you can, like, it's, it's Psalms, you can pray like vengeance on your enemies. And we're all like, hey, I like those. There were also prophetic Psalms. And Jesus talked about this psalm, and, and he actually referenced it multiple times. But in Matthew 22, Jesus says, this psalm has to do with me. And he talked about this psalm. And it's Psalm 110. And David wrote this psalm. And this is really cool, okay? Look at verse 1. It says, the Lord says to my Lord. Whoa, how can God talk to God? That's confusing. If we had a lot of time, we could really parse this out. But the first Lord in verse 1 is the name Yahweh, which is the name that God gave when he was speaking to Moses. And Moses said, who shall I say sent me? It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the name for God that means I am what I am. So the Lord, Yahweh, says to my lowercase Lord, that's the name of God, Adonai, which has to do with the prophesied Messiah. So are you following? It says the Lord, Yahweh, the Father, says to the Messiah, the Son. So here's something so cool. David, who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, was given by God a, a teleportation to the future to listen to a conversation in heaven between God the Father and God the Son. Wouldn't it be cool to be a fly on the wall if, I don't think there are flies in heaven, but if, if there were, to be a fly on the wall of heaven and to get to hear this conversation between God the Father and God the Son? This is what they said, and this is prophetically speaking of when Jesus ascended back to heaven. This is what God the Father said to God the Son. Here's what happened after Jesus ascended. 
The Lord said, the Lord, the Father says to my Lord, the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus says, be exalted. Sit at this exalted place, son, and wait until one day I bring all of the nations, all of the rulers, the system of the world under your authority. And then it starts making some prophecies. The first prophecy is in verse 3. It says that he's, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be reunited with his people. It says your, your, de- your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. One day Jesus is going to come back. We call that the second coming, the day of the Lord. And Jesus is going to be reunited. All the people he died for, all the people he saved, we're going to be reunited with Jesus. Isn't that going to be incredible? To see Jesus face to face. And next week we're going to talk about what does Jesus look like now because he doesn't look like this anymore. But we're going to see Jesus face to face. The next thing that we learn, and this gets a little more intense, is that Jesus is going to be king forever. In verse 4, it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we could do a whole Bible study on that one. Talked about it a little bit during Lot, but it's, Melchizedek was this pro- priest who was also a king. And that means that Jesus' priesthood and kingship would predate any other king and outlast any other king. He's a king forever. And then he says, the Lord is at your right hand. Jesus responds to God. It's cool, this conversation between the Father and the Son. Fly on the wall in heaven. Here we are. Jesus says to the Father, the Lord is at your right hand. I'm seated at your, seated at your right hand, and I will, or he will. Jesus is speaking of himself. Look at all the he will statements. I underline them. There are four of them. He will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among nations. He will shatter chiefs, and he will drink from, by the brook from the way. Jesus' day is coming. And look at the difference between the people that Jesus died for and the people that Jesus is coming to judge. He's collecting to himself the people of God. But what happens to the people that rise up against him? He will shatter the kings. He will execute judgment on the nations. And this is pretty serious. It says filling them with corpses. Um, He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Meaning when Jesus is coming back, he means business. There's going to be no wondering about whether Jesus is a little person that you put in your pocket or whether he is king. Jesus is coming back as king. And this is so cool. What Jesus will look like at his second coming is precisely who he looks like and what he looks like today. Jesus is king. He lives on high. Jesus does not exist for me. I exist for Jesus. So what should we do about this? How do we apply this? We don't have as much time to spend on applications. You're going to have to work on this on your own in your own life. But I got three P words for you. Okay? How do we apply this? The first thing is we we should prepare for Jesus' return. I I should ask you a real pointy question, right? Jesus beat death. Jesus earned salvation for us. But the question is, have you, through faith, unlocked that salvation? Have you put your faith in Jesus? When Jesus comes back, are you ready? The Bible says we're going to go one of two places. We're going to either rule and reign with Jesus on earth, or we're going to be sent to an eternal hell. And it all depends on whether you believe in Jesus, whether your name is in the book of life. So are you saved? (laughs) Got to ask that, right? I'd be a very unloving person if I didn't ask if you were ready for Jesus's return. The next thing we should do is we should change the paradigm by picturing Jesus on the throne every day. Get that little image of Jesus with the sheep out of our mind. We need to see Jesus as king. Uh, When we walk through the halls of our school, when we drive our car and somebody cuts us off, we need to see Jesus as king because we serve him. The final thing is pursue Jesus as Lord of your life. You know, if you're like me, you feel like I'm not the most talented person in the world. 
Like I'm not, I, I, I try to play sports, but I'm not the most athletic. Um, yeah, I try to take pretty pictures on Instagram, but I'm not the most good-looking guy. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I try to do art, but I'm not the best artist. I'm, yeah, I just don't have skills. Like, I'm not the best. I pretend like I'm the best, but I'm not the best. It takes zero skill to pursue Jesus as Lord. It has everything to do with your character and with your obedience. Pursue Jesus as the Lord of your life. What does that mean? I hope you got to talk about that in your tag group. Um, Next week, the lesson is going to be a lot more practical, but we have to start with who is Jesus. If we don't get Jesus right, we're going to get it all wrong in our lives. Um, So until next week, pursue Jesus as Lord. Let me pray for you guys. We're going to get out of here. Um, Father, thank you for this this understanding that we have, um, this big understanding, this big vision of Jesus that we have. God, Jesus is not here for us. We are here for him. We want to serve him. We want to, we want to pursue him as the Lord of our lives. So, God, I pray that yeah, as we're leaving that you'll give us an understanding, like a picture of what that means in, in my life and in everybody's life. Uh, God, that we will serve you um, because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.